Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation, the seventh chapter. We didn't quite finish the seventh chapter. <clears throat> and uh, we have several people absent, so I might just give you a, a little summary down to where we, we got down to verse 9. And help those that uh, were not here. But in this chapter we have, in verses 1 through 3, where divine judgment is restrained. God speaks to hold back the judgment that is coming upon the earth. In verses 1 through 3. And it's restrained judgment. And then in verses 4 through 8, the main part that we just dealt with in the last lesson, we have a divine sealing of the 144,000. And these are 144,000 Jews. And if you'll notice, in verse 4 it says that uh, of all the tribes of the children of Israel. If you have Revelation 7, verse 4. And then it names them in verse 5 of the tribe of Judah, tribe of Reuben, tribe of Gad. Then in verse 6, Asher and Nephilim and Manasseh. Verse 7, Simeon and uh, Levi and Iskar, 12,000 out of each of these tribes. Verse 8, of Zebulun and Joseph and Benjamin. And there are 12,000 out of each of these tribes of the children of Israel that are sealed. That is, that they are sealed for the purpose of being God's witnesses during the tribulation period. We said last in our last lesson that there are many Christian groups that claim to be these 144,000, which is... Impossible because these are uh, people out of the tribes of Israel. There are many cults that claim to be the 144,000 and thus exclude uh, the rest of us from the number. And uh, there are many people that have misinterpreted and claim that it's the church and that it's a spiritual Israel and this would be the Christians. But we found that in the earlier studies in the book of Revelation, in chapter 4 and 5, that we found that symbolically the church was already with the Lord. The people, the saints of this day and age of grace were already taken up. And we see them in the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter, the redeemed before the throne of God, singing uh, the song of redemption. And so this couldn't be the same group as we find back in the fourth and fifth chapter. And we know that all the prophecies in the Old Testament have prophesied that the Jews would be uh, protected throughout the tribulation period, even in the time of, as the Scripture says, the time of Jacob's trouble in the Old Testament, speaking of the tribulation. So these are 12,000 out, uh, out of these 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And we dealt with it in length in our last lesson. And they're sealed for the purpose of being witnesses for the Lord during the tribulation period. Now then, most uh, real sound Bible commentaries will agree with this line of thought. There are many that do otherwise. That uh, make it a spiritualizing or make it something that it really is not. But the scripture is very plain that they're the twelve. A thousand out of all the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Then we come down to verse 9, and this is where we left off in our last lesson. And this is the, a vision here in verse 9 of the saved Jews and Gentiles 
of the tribulation period. Now remember, during this period of time, it's after the saints of God have already been taken up to heaven. And John has been caught up to heaven, and he's looking at things that have transpired. And in verse 9 he says, After this I beheld in lo a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne, this is the throne in heaven, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Actually, we might put it this way. It's before the millennial throne. We shouldn't say in heaven because he's seeing a vision of the future of things that will happen. And when we read the rest of this seventh chapter, we'll find that it's a millennial scene that will not really take place till the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. But John is, is kind of combining it and showing us things of the future before the, those things happen. But this is what he sees. And they will be below, uh, before the millennial throne. And uh, if you remember that I said that all of these things are not to be taken chronologically, that they do not, it's not like what happens in the seventh chapter happens and it's over, and the eighth chapter it happens and it's over. It's not to be taken that way. Just like when we read the sixth chapter, when we were stop, uh, talking about the opening of these seven seals, the first opening of the seven-sealed book. Well, you had a rider on a, a white horse and a red horse and a pale horse and a black horse. And these were symbolical of things, of judgments and things that would take place all, all through the tribulation period. So they, it didn't just happen in the sixth chapter and it's said and done and it's over with. It's a continuation and a flow of all the things that are that are revealed. Now, let me just stop and say this, that when these seven seals are open, the seven sealed book, then all of it is open before the eyes to, to be seen. And if it's like a scroll, it's rolled up together and it's sealed on the edge. And when you break one seal, you can roll it so far till you come to the second seal on that scroll. And you roll it a little further till you come to the third seal. And when all the seven seals are opened, then, as it said, it was written on the front side and the back side. So all it has to be is to be turned over at a certain point to read, to read the balance of what's in the whole scroll or the book. And that's the book that we have before us. That's the way it was given to John. On the Isle of Patmos. That's the way he wrote it and, and, and it was prepared. Now then, and of course Jesus is the one that's opening these seals. And these people that you find, this great multitude, is a vision of the saved Jews and Gentiles. We know the Jews are numbered here, at least those that are sealed that are the, to be witnesses. And we're sure that if they witness to the Gentile world, that there's going to be also a witness to their own people. Uh, so there's going to be Jews and Gentiles in that great multitude that will be seen that are saved during the tribulation period. And that's who you see in verse 9. After this I beheld in law a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb. Now notice they were clothed with white robes, this is symbolical of the righteousness of the saints. And it says, and palms in their hands. 
Now, there are many passages of Scripture that show us that the white robes uh, signify the righteousness of the saints. It says very distinctly in the 19th chapter, when it's talking about the bride, in verse 7 and 8, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife hath made herself ready. Now, verse 8 says, And to her was granted <clears throat> that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now, notice this. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And you have other passages earlier in the book of Revelation. We know that the, the white robes are symbolical of the righteousness of the saints. Now then, if you'll notice also, it says, and palms in their hands. You Hold your place where we're studying. Revelation 7, verse 9. Hold that place for sure. Even if you don't turn to the references. And it says, and palms in their hands. This is symbolical of victory. That they have won the victory. We're going to see before we finish this chapter, how they won the victory, and how they overcame and where they came from, because a question is asked of John later on. Now let's look at verse uh, uh, verse 10. Verses 10 through 12 show us the song of these saved. Here's what they're singing. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about before the throne. And about... The throne and and about the elders and the four beasts. The elders and the four beasts. You remember we studied that in the fourth and fifth chapter where there was four and twenty elders or twenty-four elders and the four beasts. Beast is a misleading word right here because we find some wicked or beastly type of uh, uh, persons in the thirteenth chapter, but... The word back there is living creatures. And they're really heavenly creatures. And we find those in the fourth chapter. And so these are beasts in the sense of good instead of bad. If you just want to distinguish. Because in the thirteenth chapter you're going to find uh, a beast rise up out of the sea of nations. And a beast out out of the land of Palestine. And these are two wicked uh Leaders that we'll find when we get to the 13th chapter. And time would fail for me to try to explain all of these things as I go along. So I'll have to just trust you to listen to it when the time comes. But now we're dealing with the 24 elders and these living creatures that are about the throne. Now notice what they do as well as the the great multitude. They're saying, salvation to our God, that's verse 10, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb, the Lamb of God is Christ, and all the angels stood round about the throne. That's in verse 11. Uh, and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, we've already said that this is a millennial scene that will take place after the tribulation period. And we're going to find something here that will show us more or less that fact. Look at verse 13. 
And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? So one of the elders asked John a question. Where did these come from? What are these? And we have John's reply. Because he puts the question back to him. He says, well, you know. (laughs) Sometimes a question is asked and the person knows the answer before they ask. Uh, And uh, John was, uh, this elder was asking John, says, what are these? I want want to know. I think he was really wanting to know if John knew who they were. And John says, verse 14, And I said unto him, John says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. You know who these are. And he said, then this angel, or this elder, said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are they that came out of great tribulation. The word there is the tribulation, the great one. Now there's only one great tribulation. So if these, if this multitude and these that are arrayed in white robes are those that came out of great tribulation, then we see a millennial scene because it's after uh, they have been taken on to be before this throne. And there are many martyred saints during the tribulation of saved Jews and Gentiles. And we're going to find out that the time element here would show us then that they are before God. Verse um, 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. That's a future date. That's in the millennium. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. That's in the future time. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. That's also future. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor heat any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto fountains of waters, living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So you're seeing things that happen in the 20th and 21st chapter when we get to it uh, during the time of a thousand year rule and reign upon the earth. In fact, let me give you a similar scripture Notice this, it says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Look in the 21st chapter, if you will. We can see that we're talking about, and this is even after the thousand year reign, because that takes place in the 20th chapter of Revelation. But in Revelation 21, verse 4, it says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You're talking about a future state of things. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So John here is anticipating the glory and the peace and the blessings of the millennium for both the saved Jews and the Gentiles. For all those that will enter into the millennium. The millennium is pictured in the 20th chapter when it says that they shall rule and reign with Christ a thousand years. You know, have you seen that some of these uh, people that interview for the news media asking people about the millennium? 
And some of them say, well, is, is, is that 10 years? Some of them say, well, is that 100 years? Or is that the beginning of this next century? Or, or is, is that the beginning of another thousand years? Well, it's really the beginning of another thousand years. And a millennium is a thousand year reign. But uh, people have all kinds of ideas about it, don't they? And I know we're facing a new one. And it's argued whether the year 2000 is the last year of this century or the first year of the next. So that's like saying which came first, the chicken or the egg, kind of to me. So it depends on whether you start with zero or one, doesn't it? If you start counting from zero, well, every tick after zero is, is, is time, isn't it? So I'll leave that to the computer guys to figure that one out. But anyway, we come back to this, and uh, we'll see that, that John is at actually seeing things of the future. The millennial temple, the millennial reign upon the earth, the millennial throne upon the earth, the millennial blessings, where there will be no more hunger and no more thirst, where the Lamb will be in the midst of, and on the throne, and where there will be a continual service. I want you to notice that word. We preached on serving this morning. Uh, serving God. Some of you were here. But if you look in verse 15, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. We said that this morning in our message that when we get to heaven and when the eternal state comes around, we're not going to be just like fellows laying out here on a hammock and enjoying the cool breeze and asking someone to bring us a glass of iced tea or something or lemonade. We're not going to be that. We're going to be serving God. And it will be the most blessed service that we'll ever know. And also in the 21st chapter, look again, or 22nd chapter, it says this in verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Now look, and His servants shall serve Him. That's chapter 22. And we're talking about a heavenly, eternal state of things when we will still be serving God. So when someone thinks that they're going to just serve God while they're here on this earth and then exit all out and when we get to heaven, it'll all be just a flowery bed of ease. It will be joyful service, but we'll be active. And people are more uh, are happiest when they're serving you know, if you're not serving and you're not uh, doing something, and here it will all be for the glory of God. Uh, many times on this earth when we're serving, some of it's for man's glory, some of it's for self-glory, and there are many wrong reasons for serving, but then it will all be with the proper motives, with the proper blessings, and with the proper rewards coming to God's people. I'll be looking forward to that time, won't you? When it will be all for joy. Now then, uh, in the eighth chapter, <clears throat> I want you to notice the first verse. Chapter 8 and verse 1. <clears throat> it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, all the seals opened. Remember, it was a seven sealed book or scroll. It was called a book, but in those days it was like a scroll rolled up together and sealed on the edge after each writing and after a certain length of written material. And so when these seals were broken, it was unrolled and 
I mean, the first seal was broken at the end of it, and it was unrolled so far till he got to the second seal on the edge of it, and it was unrolled again till you got to the third seal, and it was unrolled, and now here's the seventh. So all of it is opened. Now it's written on the, if you go back in the fourth chapter, look, or the fifth chapter, it says, Verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. So it was written on the front and the back. So when all this scroll was unrolled, everything was open. And all you had to do is turn it over and begin reading the other side when the time came. I believe I can show you later a point in which the uh, reading of the flip side, if we'll call it, of this scroll had begun. When we get to that point, I believe it's about chapter 12, just to give you a hint. But I want you to notice here in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. Of half an hour. Here's silence in heaven. Here's the last seal of these judgments that's about to take place upon the earth. And when he had opened, there was a great silence. You ever been where it's just silent? We don't have much silence today, do we? There's always some kind of noise. You ever been when there's just absolute solitude and silence? Even to the extent that you and I believe that there's a silence, there's still not. You go out in the out in the utter. Uh, in the wilderness part of the of, of the area. And you'll think it's so calm and it's so quiet out here. And yet you can still hear things. In spite of that, there's some there's it's not complete silence. Some of you have been down in the Carlsbad Caverns at the at the uh, very bottom when you used to they'd turn the lights out and everything was quiet. And then they'd play they used to do it. They used to play Rock of Ages. I don't know if they permit them to do that anymore. It's getting to be a little bit religious when you play Rock of Ages. And if you're in any government thing, that's kind of shut down nowadays, isn't it? We don't want to conflict anything in this world with God. Don't conflict anything with God. And yet all of it is related to God, isn't it? There's nothing that does not have a bearing upon the Lord. And upon our relationship with God. But anyway, we've got to be so careful that we're afraid to, to sneeze anymore. And uh, a lot of things are happening. Alright, chapter 8, verse 1. When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. Now, have you ever been out when there was a tornado coming? Or a big storm coming? And all of a sudden, just a silence Everywhere. And then all of a sudden the storm hits, doesn't it? And the, we've always spoken of, and many times we do use this term, the calm before the storm. We talk about that in our lives, in the storms of lives, don't we? We say, well, this is the calm before the storm. Because we know that, that men, that people, that mankind is subject to storms from time to time. And when everything seems to be going just wonderful... Just wait till the next day. Something may happen to disturb that peace. Well, we know it does as far as 
our uh, daily life or the things that we face is concerned. We know it does. There are storms in life. But yet in the midst of those storms, if you and I can learn to still be at peace, like we quoted a scripture this morning, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he what trusteth in thee. And so if you want to stay in peace in the midst of the storm, it's trust in God that will do it. And if you truly trust in the Lord, when the storms of life are raging, uh, there's my song again, Stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, thou who rulest wind and waters, stand by me. And so, the perfect peace comes by trusting the Lord in the midst of the storm. But here, this was a silence before the storm. In other words, what we're trying to say is this is just before the judgments of God were about to come. And as we read this 8th chapter, you'll find that they begin to happen rapidly. And there are terrible things that happen. So verse 1 is the silence before the storm at the opening of this seventh seal. Verse 2 now. I saw the seven angels which stood before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. These seven angels were going to sound their trumpets and with each and every trumpet, uh, these were trumpet messages. And the message would be a message of judgment. Upon the earth. And so seven messages were about to come. And the seven trumpets were about to be sounded. In the Old Testament, the trumpet would sound an alarm. It would, the trumpet was used to assemble God's people. The trumpet was used to sound an alarm of the approaching enemy. It was used in various ways to direct the people as to what would take place. In fact, Paul says if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who's going to prepare himself for the battle? That's why we need words that are clearly understood to be preached. And he was talking there about tongues speaking. He said if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, you know, if you don't understand what is said, how are you going to prepare yourself for the battle? How are you going to know what to do? So therefore, he magnifies the true, clear preaching of the word in opposition to those things that cannot be understood. And by the way, let me bring this on down to something else. In our song service, if a song does not hit your ear and give you some understanding, it's just music, isn't it? It's just a sound. That's why we want someone to sing a special that will sing the song so that you will understand the words, so that you will get the message, so that it will be some benefit to you. And uh, there's, there are many times that you hear people sing songs that it doesn't make any sense. All you hear is a bunch of sound. Well, you just well hear them playing the guitar or trumpet or a piano without any words or anything, hadn't you? Because, and, and especially if you don't know the song. That's why when Brother Donahoe gets up here like this morning, he says, I'm going to play a song. I believe it was... Uh, Page 26, was it? Or 29? 26? Come thou found of every blessing. I'm not sure of the page. But I think I've got pretty close. Right? Okay. Come thou found of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. And he played that on the, on the harmonica. But if you open your songbook, you can get, uh, get the message. 
And if you're familiar with the words, you don't have to open the book. If you know what it's saying anyway, in your ear, it detects the, the words of the song. Many times you have the, the music and you understand the song. Uh, the trumpet has to make a certain sound. The preaching of God's Word has to make a certain sound. It has to be clear to people. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Word was to be written so that he that runneth may read it. It's to be clear so that a man can read it on the run. So that it's very clear and plain. Uh, God's Word is to be preached clear. The truth of God is to be declared in a clear way. So here you have these trumpet sounds. They were going to bring messages of judgment. We'll find that the judgment does come at the sound of these trumpets. Now then, in verse 3, you have the angel priest. And who is that? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I want you to notice, and the things that we read in verse 3 will identify that it has to be the Lord Himself. And another angel, by the way, Jesus all through the Old Testament was compared, before we read this, was, that is, not compared, but presented himself as the angel of Jehovah. To Abraham, to Moses, to various other ones of the Old Testament, many of them. The angel of the Lord. And it was Christ pre-incarnate. Uh, it was Christ in the Old Testament. And he is identified as the one who appeared to various ones. In fact, he said before, to the Jews, before Abraham was, I am. And the I am appeared uh, to uh, Abraham and others in the form of uh, the angel of Jehovah. Or in the name of the angel, in the title of the angel of Jehovah. So it says, another angel came <clears throat> and stood before the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer, look, offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So the golden altar of incense, or the golden censer, contains the prayers of the saints. And the... <clears throat> The incense indicates the merits of Christ. Christ's merits. And if you'll find in chapter 7, verse 2, let me give you four places here in the book of Revelation where Christ has revealed Himself in such a way. First of all, let me nail this one down. No one is able to offer... Uh, Incense as our great high priest. No one is able to be our great high priest but the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no angel in heaven can qualify to be our great high priest like is spoken of throughout the New Testament. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So if we have not one, we have one who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And that's in Hebrews chapter 4, the last four or five verses. So, He is the one who is our great high priest. Jesus, it says there in that passage, that it's Jesus, the Son of God, who is our great high priest. Now then, uh, here in this verse, 
chapter 8, verse 3, He is seen as our great high priest and as the great high priest, even of these uh, tribulation saints that offers up their prayers. He's the only one that can accept our prayers. And He's the only one that will offer up their prayers in this fashion before the throne. But what I started to say when I said that we have four places in the book of Revelation here, I'd like to give you chapter 7 and verse 2, and this one 8 verse 3, 10 verse 1, and 18 verse 1. Okay, let me give them to you again. 7 verse 2, and we'll read them in a moment. 7 verse 2, 8 verse 3, that's where we're studying. Uh, 10 verse 1, and 18 verse 1. Now let's read 7 verse 2, which is probably very near to where you're studying. Just glance back a little bit. It says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. This is Christ. He has the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels. So he he gives his authority. He cried to the four angels to whom was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God. So he's the one that holds back the judgment when he cries to these four angels. And he says, Do not hurt them yet. That's the 7th chapter, verse uh, 2. So there you have Christ coming too. You have Christ there. And in 8 verse 3, the one we're just studying, you have Christ as the angel priest. In chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, And I saw another mighty angel. You can look at these if you want to. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Now, where do you have this description? In the very first chapter, do you not? You have this picture of Christ being uh, seen in such a way on the Mount of Transfiguration. And by the way, you'll find that in Matthew chapter 17 and Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9. It's very easy to remember. Matthew 17, Mark 9, Luke 9. That's the Transfiguration. And the Bible says that in the Transfiguration, His face did shine as the sun... And his raiment was white as the light. In Revelation chapter 1, we find the vision that John saw of the Lord glorified there. And let me read it in Revelation chapter 1. It says in verse 16, And his countenance, the last part of verse 16, And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So you have the things that identify the Lord Jesus Christ. Now then, uh, there's another point in, the, in this uh, verse of Scripture. 10 verse 1. It says, as feet as pillars of fire. Now you have that also in uh, <clears throat> chapter 1 of Revelation. Let me find it. His eyes were as a flame of fire, in verse 15, and his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. That's verse 15. Revelation 1, verse 15. So, in 10, verse 1, 
This is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Again, and then now look in chapter 18, verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come from down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice. This is Christ. Remember, his voice is the sound of many waters. So in these four places, you have Christ revealing himself in power and great glory during the uh, tribulation period and in the book of Revelation. So let's get back to our verse-by-verse study in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3. So it says, Another angel came and stood at the altar. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ, or the angel priest. And we've given you four places, three places other than this in the book of Revelation where you find Christ appearing. Okay? Now then, it says, and having, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints. Now, he's the only one that is qualified to be our great high priest and to be their great high priest, uh, the high priest of the tribulation saints, upon the golden altar which was before the throne. <clears throat> now, this golden censer was containing the prayers of the saints. We find a similar thought back in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. In verse 8, And when he had taken the book, this is 5 verse 8, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. So the Lord is taking all the prayers of the of the tribulation saints, and He's offering them in chapter 8, verse 3, before the throne, and in verse 4, and the smoke of the incense, you have Revelation 8, verse 4, Hold your place where we're studying. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So he's offering them up and God receives uh, the prayers of the saints as Christ offers them up before God. If you remember, there were prayers of the early martyred saints of the tribulation. Where was that? In the fifth seal, chapter 6, I believe. Look back in chapter 6. And they begin to pray. And they said, they were praying for something here. Chapter 6 and verse uh, 9. This is the fifth seal that was opened. Notice what it says here. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the, the souls of them that were slain for the Word of God. These were tribulation saints. And... For the testimony which they held, after they were killed, their souls were in the presence of God in heaven. Their souls were under the altar. And these tribulation saints, even back there, cried, verse 10, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Their prayer was that God would judge those people that had brought about their, that had killed them. 
And over there where we're studying, Jesus takes the prayers of those tribulation saints and offers them up before the throne of God. As well as all the others that, that we see in view. But look at verse 11. And white robes, you have Revelation 6 verse 11. And white robes were given unto the, every one of them. Remember they had the white robes. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So these first tribulation martyrs were to rest and wait until the rest of them would make up this glorified group in heaven before the throne of God. Anticipating, John is anticipating their future complete glory in the 8th chapter that we're studying. In the 7th and 8th chapter 2, by the way. And he's anticipating their future complete glory in the presence of God after all the tribulation is over. And so that's why you find that uh, their prayers are being answered and God accepts their, their prayers Revelation 8 verse 4, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Now then, verse 5 says, And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar. He's going to answer their prayers. What is What was their prayer? To avenge their blood. Right? Upon them that dwell on the earth. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth or onto the earth or upon the earth. Cast it upon the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And so the judgment that they wanted to come upon those that were there that caused their martyrdom, Jesus answers that prayer. God answers that prayer and says, okay, the judgments are about to fall. 